All right, good enough podcast, episode seven. I just had to look that up to make sure we were on track there. EP seven. Um, EP seven. Um, back again. We are both at our home locations now. I have relocated to Reno, Nevada, and you are back in Portland for longest stretch of the season, right? Yeah, longest stretch of the season between X Games and Dutour. I've gotten to do some family time. Uh, funny enough, about episode seven, uh, ran into a yeah, former judge and uh, old friend Andrew Wicks in Aspen, uh, where he informed me that uh, the hump, the most podcasts don't make it over episode seven. Like if you make it to episode seven, you're you're going to succeed. So I've I've been waiting for seven to bring that up just so we could make it over that hump, you know, and now we're clearly we're going to succeed. This podcast is really going somewhere. We've hit we've hit the Andrew Wicks hump. We've made it. He's exactly. A- I think I think statistically that's something to do with like podcasts <laughs> overall. I think Wicks allegedly has years of his gondola talk podcast where he just ambushed at the, us at the bottom of the gondola at Ajax and uh, spoke with us for the duration of that 20 minute <laughs> gondola. I've never heard of that until I think Adam was talking about it at X Games and he's like, yeah, we did a, a gondola talk with Wix. I'm like, what's that? Oh, yeah. W- uh, Wix, in addition to his radio show in Aspen, Wix has been doing his podcast for years. So, yeah, check it out. I think <laughs> he features the judges just about once a year. And <laughs> we, uh, yeah, talk about random stuff. Rarely ever the contest at hand being X Games that we're out in Aspen for. Well, his radio show is very infamous in the Aspen area. So, uh, and... Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, check out check out Wix's radio hour uh, weekly if you're in and around the Aspen area. You can tune in. I think somewhere probably around a sixty mile radius if you got <laughs> got radio. Well, we did the X Games recap down at Mammoth with a whole crew: Adam, Noah Curry, Nikki Blackhall, guest appearance by DJ DC Earth, and. Uh, we we didn't have much of a contest in Mammoth. We ended up getting the slope style done, but Halfpipe went with qualification results, and that led to the streak of Eileen winning every single contest in a row was broken. Yeah, I think that was... Uh, I remember asking at the end of the last podcast how many events they anticipated actually finishing, and I'm blown away that the slope style event ended up going off in mammoth but half pipe with them canceling that really it seemed to just be uh you, you looked at you looked at who was qualified and you said okay that'll be a pretty standard uh cast of characters going into finals uh, but the notable thing being eileen was in second place uh and then when the finals got canceled and eileen was not given the opportunity to try to land a couple more runs her finishing in second place finally uh, I I can't remember the last time she didn't win a half pipe contest. So I think she was uh, at not... seven in a row. Seven. It might have been seven World Cups in a row, but she was definitely around that. Yeah, it, I I thought it was many more. For mm. some reason, I thought I heard seventeen. Oh, um, we're both <laughs> we're probably wildly yeah. off, but still, that's that's unbelievable. She's been running the scene for a while. There's no way it's seventeen. Now that I say that, that sounds crazy. That's <laughs> like if they do five a year, that's like that that. I mean, eh, yeah, maybe I that's mean, only she, it was a couple three of years, years, I feel like. But 
But no, um, that was. But yeah, either was... way, Eileen not winning. Not to say that she wouldn't have won that contest had she been able to put down some runs, but not qualifying first. Uh, so that streak ended, and then uh, kind of an anticlimactic, yeah, way to re- do that that pipe contest in Mammoth, going with the qualifying result, uh, always leading to the conversation of would it be a better scenario if the judges, uh, because I mean the women they they competed in one heat. There's there's no way to argue uh, that that's how qualifying was judged but when the men are going in two heat and two heats and um the final is uh not able to happen you think uh maybe it would be a good opportunity for the judges to be able to re-rank the riders according to how they stack up heat to heat um and uh that of course not is not something that we're able to do right now so uh they just go straight off scores that are um that are given in the qualifying heats and it is what it is. And that, that kind of determines the result. When I, I announced qualifying at the venue there for that one. And Eileen landed her first run with a couple bobbles, but not, not anything terrible. But then Amy's run was more of a finals type run with Eileen sitting in second, going into her second run. She went for her finals run and actually fell. Cause I think maybe knowing that the storm was coming in, the possibility of a qualification result being taken. Um, she went for it and she ended up falling on her left side alley flat five. And I mean, kind of is what it is. But if you look at the men's side, Nick Gepper benefited because he got his first podium. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I mean, he's, he's been trending upwards, but like, again, when, when the guys are doing their qualifying runs, versus doing their final runs usually there is a bit of disparity in like where where somebody may have qualified versus where they could kind of max out with their their full full pull run uh you know and uh that yeah mammoth i mean some the competitors would be uh to their best benefit to take a look at the weather and understand that in mammoth in february there's a high likelihood that if you're skiing in the pipe that very well might be the last run you get to take in that half pipe competition. When it was like, oh, I mean, I was aware of it for at least a week beforehand that there's a possibility that there's a four to six foot storm that's going to hit Mammoth while we're there. I mean, everyone was talking about it. Everyone brought powder skis there. People had snowmobiles on the back of their trucks because they knew that it was going to be, I mean, a huge storm that hit. But it was interesting watching the skiing from going straight from that X Games pipe, and I mean straight from it, because it got pushed up a day to do that qualifying, straight from the X Games pipe to that Mammoth pipe. And nothing against the Mammoth pipe, but going from the most perfect pipe of the year to the Mammoth pipe, which, I mean, the first probably half of the pipe was super oververt. Nobody could do their doubles on the top. Actually, a few people could do their doubles on the top, but a lot of people popping off into the flat bottom it was a pretty wow, interesting okay. qualifying, at least as far as falls go. Yeah, that's a that is tough, especially because I know a lot of people went in, in from Aspen and didn't have uh, an opportunity to uh, practice. Like they they just they literally went straight from the contest, pretty much got in a car, drove to Mammoth, and had like the least amount of practice they would normally have, uh, which is also sometimes the opportunity to say if the pipe might be oververt, see if some part of the pipe isn't riding right, and they'll have a couple days to kind of correct. So, uh, yeah, it seemed like 
I mean, again, uh, Mammoth is world-renowned for having an unbelievable half-pipe, an unbelievable park. But to try to do a World Cup half-pipe and slope-style contest in February in Mammoth will always be a crapshoot as to whether yeah. or not I mean, that will actually happen. It's too bad that it doesn't get pushed to April or sometime around there because Mammoth in the spring, I mean, your chances are a lot better. Um, and it also has been a pretty low snow year for the Sierras this year compared to years past. I mean, there was dirt on the side of the pipe. It was not it was not the perfect setup going into it, and then it just dumped on top of it. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that that's what they, they tend to say about any of the venues for contests are they're having a terrible snow year. And then you schedule a World Cup, and that that tends to be the time that uh, everything goes off, and it just starts really coming down. So, yep. uh, if you're if you're not having a great snow year, schedule a World Cup because it will snow and alter plans. Oh, and then it was it was a pretty good slope style event. Um, they pushed it all through, so it was qualies and finals all in one day on Saturday, and got it done. I mean, they they got it pushed through and everyone rode the course well and the contest ended up being pretty good start to finish um but it was it was interesting i mean it's that classic mammoth course the jumps are almost hit or miss because it's just wide open you always get wind coming through there and so it but it ended up being a good contest yeah i mean uh again i i really didn't have much faith in the fact that that contest was gonna go off and when they were managing to do the full qualifying into a final all in one day uh that was that was pretty impressive like just a feat in organizing to be able to get all of that off but again the level of competition other than a couple of gusts of wind and a couple time frames that really gave people the disadvantage it was a really good contest and some maybe the Maybe the jump riding on that course will never necessarily be at the highest level yeah. because the the course has a bit of limitations in terms of like the level of rotation maybe we'll see. But the rail runs that I saw in that contest were really uh, defining the whole field, and that was really cool to watch. A-Hall, Colby had some really unbelievable rail runs. Mac with the Switch 4 P2 uh, in, his, in, in a slope style run to do a Switch 4 Pretzel 2. Yep. That's unheard of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is that is a really technical pretzel to be able to lock in a slope style run. So yep. uh, some really unique rail riding. Well, and it was what was interesting to you, and I've been meaning to ask you this because I talked to some of the judges there. Qualification was a split panel to get through it, overall impression. And so they had two panels, overall impression, back-to-back, going fast through the different heats to have – the heats go through and then they switched from overall impression to SBS. And I've never judged SBS before, but in the same day having to judge one system and then immediately for final switching where you're, you are judging overall impression and now, okay, now I'm just judging this section. I don't know if you've ever had to do that before, but that seemed, seemed like I, a difficult thing. I mean, uh, thing. honestly, the funny thing about that is more often than not, that is the case. That you're uh, maybe maybe not in the same day, maybe not in like within a span of a couple hours going from judging overall impression directly into judging SBS. But rarely, if ever, is it possible schedule-wise to do the full contest SBS where you're doing qualifying and finals in that SBS format because – 
it takes a lot of time. And in this outdoor winter sport with limited hours, unique weather conditions, uh, oftentimes the first thing to go is that you move into a double up where two panels are operating at the same time to be able to expedite the process, getting everybody done. But you do lose the ability to keep the same judging format throughout the entire contest because SBS requires a lot of judges. And the, by doing the double up, you're you're dividing and conquering. You're splitting your resources, splitting the judging panels into two, splitting the heats so they can go at the same time. Um, so that I mean that's almost like the my biggest issue with SBS as a whole is how rarely you're able to do a contest start to finish right. in that format. Uh and as a competitor that's got to be really confusing right. and really difficult to adjust to because uh you could be getting rewarded for something in overall impression that everybody's taking notice of and all the judges are acknowledging and discussing and then it just not playing as big of a part into your run when broken down section by section and and taking a look at analytically compared to everybody else um so it does it changes the way that the runs looked at and it, it's really i think it's got to be really tough for competitors one well, to explain SBS, you have multiple judges judging. Is it each feature or a couple features or? Yeah, so SBS, uh, meaning section by section, is the the method of judging used at the majority of World Cup slope style finals. And that Skiing is the course itself being broken down into sections. Uh, like a rail pad would be a section. A, a jump would be a section. And then the judges, uh, as there being 10 judges, the judges are divided into groups and the groups are evaluating only their specific sections of the course. So uh, two judges will be looking at sections one and two, giving unique scores on section one and then another unique score on section two. The those scores are then added up essentially um, alongside the other scores for the other features and uh, turned into this math equation that also has other judges that are factoring in the composition, the overall impression, uh, actually looking at the variety, how the run was put together, the creativity of the run. Um, and then that, so the sections accounting for 60% uh, and the composition accounting for 40% of the overall score thrown into this math equation, that's what determines the winner. Uh, um, so SBS is a bit of a complicated, complex system to try to achieve the same result that an overall impression uh, contest theoretically would. So thoughts on SBS? You still down with it or do you like overall impression more? I I think SBS needs modification. Uh, I think that it really the, – the coolest part about judging and the thing about free ski judging – and something that a lot of people don't realize is how much of a communal effort it is. It's a group of judges watching a run, discussing a run together, having 12, 14 eyes on that run, seeing all of the unique and intricate details, then being able to have a quick, concise discussion, comparing against other runs, and coming to an agreement with that group as to where that run ranks against everything else. And that is a really unique process that most judging systems don't allow for. Uh, figure skating, gymnastics, where they're in separate areas, punching in a score based on a rubric, um, is a lot more straightforward. And free skiing, having the ability to kind of make that communal effort, I think um, gives a really unique perspective on the ability to capture all of the unique aspects of each run. Um, SBS 
gives credit where credit is due for unique uh, tricks and hard combinations and stuff. However, it's um, the judges are not given the same opportunity and not as many eyes on the run to be able to all focus on the entire run. And if you show up and you're judging one section, you 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 don't even bother to go look at the bottom jump. You don't you don't have any feeling of who wins the whole contest. You have a feeling of one who won your feature and as somebody who got into judging to try to make sure that i felt that the people winning these contests aligned with the values and aligned with what everybody understood about the technical difficulty and merit of these tricks um it's kind of a sour feeling to go to a contest as a judge and feel like you you don't really have an insight as to who won the contest based on what you watched um so for that point i i think i'll always uh not really love SBS and feel that maybe we get a more true feeling of the contest with overall impression. But at the level of complexity that this sport is at right now, you kind of do need to be able to break down a run and be able to actually critically evaluate each and every component against every other component of the run rather than so that, so that nothing gets overlooked. Um, Is this system fine tuned to the extent that it, uh, it could be to produce a result that is less questionable by everybody. That's yet to be seen, and I think that we we might be able to tweak it to make the SBS system uh, possibly a better reflection of what we'd like to see. So it is something that everybody would prefer rather than this fifty fifty split. It seems through the ski industry. Well, it almost seems it's kind of a fail safe for so that you don't miss the good stuff. You don't miss the something that was special on a feature, but it almost takes, it's almost like, well, this crew of judges can't handle the entirety of judging the whole run. So let's take a little bit of control out of there, have a couple good ones do the overall impression and then let these other ones focus on each feature. That's kind of the way I felt about it, at least when it got brought up in the past. It's it's pretty tough if you think about it. Like overall impression might seem simple because you're just taking a look at the runs and trying to be able to break down which run was better but in reality when you're looking at six features and five criteria theoretically per feature there's a lot of things that internally when you're coming up with those decisions are happening um and in a very short amount of time in a very short amount of time and things get overlooked so theoretically sbs is a way to mitigate risk to make sure that everything is acknowledged at face value and that we're not overlooking individual technical tricks because it kind of gets lost in the whole whole mix of the contest um you you are right almost in that it seems like you're i mean you're you're trying to limit the amount of focus that humans have to be able to uh give in 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 the scenario you know we're we're humans we're judging how much can we really focus how much can we really process um there are more and less experienced judges and it uh that all that all plays into their ability to compress all of this information in a really short amount of time to be able to come out with an adequate OI result. If you're able to produce that same result, because like theoretically, that's the thing that I look at at the end of the day is SBS at best can produce the same result as an OI ju- competition judged adequately. You know, however, 
obviously skiing being subjective, nobody will ever 100% have the same right. opinion as you. But when I look at SBS, the goal theoretically is to try to uh, use this equation to achieve the same function. Well, and that's that's kind of how I've all, I've always looked at it. I remember Steele brought it up when I I mean one of the first couple years that I started judging and was like, this is an option we're looking into doing this because snowboard snowboarding's doing it. And I was like, well, that I mean that takes the whole feel of the run out. You only have a couple guys that have the whole feel of the entirety of the run, and it almost takes the skiing out of it because you're just looking at individual features. You're not looking at the entire flow of everything totally yeah and i mean uh you look at like a run like joss his run in the olympics yeah. would that run get the same recognition in sbs as it did in overall impression the feel of that run the creativity the way he approached it the lines that he took into those jumps were so unique and so fun to watch so interesting so impactful would that translate into sbs and Oftentimes, um, in SBS, the thing, the things that you might miss are the things that you don't want to end up winning these major contests. You know, if you have an Olympic winning run, and that Olympic winning run has a switch pizza in it, yeah, because exactly SBS overlooks that, that's a bad look. Yeah, like I, I say it that I think that free skiing has been tremendously lucky with the gold medalists that we've had in slope style. Um, having Joss, having Oystein, and having Alex being the runs that did emerge victorious on those days, and those were the ones that people saw, those were the people that that got a lot of um, visibility from that. That's That's good for skiing because those runs really highlighted components of the sport that I feel um, are true to the values of the sport. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, what happens when, when we don't have that, you know, when, when, when our system spits out a number that we couldn't control and now we have something that we don't feel represents the sport to the best of its capacity on that highest stage. And, uh, you look at it with snowboarding, like, uh, with the Olympics and that, that whole miss grab fiasco, um, there, there was nothing else talked about. That was a really good snowboard competition that had one or two things that were missed from a judging perspective. That's the only thing that's talked about. Those those medals seem of less value maybe to those people. I mean, I, I can't speak for them, but like that that's all that gets talked about when there's a mistake in something like something that glaring, you yeah. know, a misgrab in an Olympic winning run you know if somebody did a switch pizza on an olympic winning slope style run and the judges just either a didn't see it or b chose not to acknowledge it because they didn't know how that actually plays into the system i feel like that's doing a disservice to our sport and our culture yeah definitely and the let's see 2018 was that sbs for the Olympics, which one was the no, no first SBS was the most recent okay. um, Olympics in China that that Alex won. Looking at let's say, I mean we're we're kind of getting hung up on the SBS thing, but it is it's an interesting topic. The X Games runs from this year, how how do you think those would have been shook up at all having SBS in there? Oh. <laughs> at- <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> that was yeah, kind of why I was sure. going there. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and also kind of pairing with like something that you and Tom uh, and I were talking about on that podcast a, a couple ago. Um, X Games trying to bring something a little different to the table, wanting us to be a little bit more influenced by creativity and, and uh, that. Um, that does play into SBS and it can, but not. I don't think nearly as much as it did for like our decisions at X games this year, like especially so with the rail runs, like our ability to reward people that were doing creative and unique uh, pathways through the rails that were not just the most linear, straightforward uh, approach to a rail run. Um, SBS might, I mean, it can, it has the ability to acknowledge that, but does it always like, uh, or does it take something out of it? Well, and I think it, it depends on who's judging each section. I think looking at like the mammoth crew and the fact that Alex Hall got rewarded for the different tricks that he did and doing the Tokyo drift into the K fed. And yeah, maybe it wasn't the most technical trick in the world, but it was a unique take. And then he did go super technical with the pretzel on the huge down flat down and then doing the tail yeah. tap and the nose tap off the cannon. I mean, like those high risk, high reward, you yeah. know, for, for each one of those. Yeah. But it and was, I, I guess, uh, the, the one the one thing I'll say about SBS and then I'll I'll leave it because yeah. I don't want to I guess we shouldn't get too derailed on it is <laughs> um, our entire judging system the entire philosophy by which free ski judging has been based on is based on rankings yeah. based on looking at two runs and saying this run is based on the criteria we're looking at better or worse than another run that we're comparing it to thus how we build a ranking system the numbers being irrelevant those numbers do not matter at all SBS um while you still want to have the same ranking at the end of the day theoretically while you still want to have accurate rankings within the features now the scores really do matter and it is not just about the ranking it's not just about who won that feature who got second on that feature who got third on that feature but what number in the moment that section judge associates with that trick and their understanding of the tricks that could theoretically happen throughout the day um, and how those would stack up against it to adequately be able to give credit for the hardest tricks when they are much or much more difficult or much less difficult than another run being compared in that section. Uh, The difference between giving something a 90 and a 70 versus giving a 90 and a 40 matters where when we were just dealing in rankings it doesn't you get sixth place you get sixth place that's that's what matters don't look at the number look at the ranking so it adds a whole another level of complexity that i don't think um is possible to be perfect every single time thus that would be the area that i think that we may possibly be able to improve that system so one one last question for me on it the overall impression judges that are on the sbs panel do they get the scores from the the section judges before they put in their overall impression score? No. So um, and like also, it's no longer called overall impression that that section oh, sorry. making up for forty yeah. percent. We now refer to as composition, just to instill that it is not representing exactly what overall impression traditionally does in okay. judging. Um, those judges are not looking at the individual section scores and don't pay attention to that, and they're weighing the run pretty much based on 
the variety that was displayed in the run because the variety is something that's not being accounted for in any specific section. Each section is evaluating that section based on the progression, the amplitude, the execution, and the difficulty of those individual tricks. But when you're looking at one trick against one trick, there is no variety. So the composition judges are the ones taking into account the variety. Those judges, again, they're not looking at the individual scores, and they're coming up with a ranking and a number that doesn't align with traditional OI and doesn't necessarily align with the individual trick values that were given out, but how they viewed the variety and the creativity of the run stacking up against other runs during that individual competition. Gotcha. Yeah, I was wondering if they were able to like compensate to still do a ranking by going, I mean, seeing the other scores and be like, oh, I have to up my score to rank this properly to still do an OI type of feeling i mean uh if you think about that then that's like giving more power to to right. three judges right. than to the rest of the judges so the only way to be honest and true to the system is to ride and die by those numbers that you establish that's and sketch uh just let it go and um that's yeah exactly it's just uh it's a little bit more out of your control maybe than you'd you'd want in in, in overall impression we have that control. We, it's in our hands. And um, when we we actually did a vote with the athletes and the coaches just to kind of get their perspective on which format they see more value in, and believe it or not, it was darn near 50-50. Yeah. Um, and like some people arguing that the control and the amount of insight and input given through that overall impression process is so invaluable that it can't be afforded to be lost. But other people really like the trackability of SBS and the ability to go and see how one individual feature was scored and that they got second on that feature and third on this feature. So uh, why why didn't they win the contest? You know, they can track that. The, the scores tell a number in that scenario, and that's fun to be able to nerd out on and track from a, a analytic perspective yeah and i guess as a spectator too being able to look through and see oh they won this section but oh they fucked up in this section or whatever it may be um but now let's see after mammoth we had a week or two and then everyone yeah i had a everyone had a little hiatus after mammoth i guess it seemed to be that everyone pretty much took the entire time to get out of mammoth with the the snowstorm that came I know everyone got pretty delayed, but we had quite the adventure with Noah and Nikki. I drove them on Monday morning. We left and drove through the snowstorm to Reno, which I mean, it was like whiteout conditions for them to rent a car and then drive the car from Reno to San Francisco to get flights to Seattle. And out of the judges, they got out of it the easiest because yep. all of the other judges got stuck in Bishop for another two days. With no car, uh, no Uber Eats. No Uber Eats. They were just <laughs> stuck. Uh, Adam Frisell, major call out, did not fulfill his bet from X Games, did not travel home wearing goggles and helmet, and needs to do something to make up for it because he has lost all credibility in my eyes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that was a pretty simple bet to fulfill, especially because he could have just done it from Aspen to Mammoth. And then yeah. didn't. And this this whole bet was because he didn't finish with three orders of cheese sticks. They were pretty big cheese sticks, and he had pretty <laughs> big eyes on those cheese sticks. But he couldn't finish those cheese sticks. He lost the bet fair and square. 
uh, we're waiting on Adam's response as to what he's going to do to make this right because you don't you don't back out on a bet. <laughs> yeah, but we had um, we had uh, yeah. I get, go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you you got everyone got out of Mammoth, and then uh, then yeah, I guess pretty pretty straightforward after that went into the final half pipe contest of the year in Calgary. Uh, good old Calgary double event this year in Calgary. Uh, so they did the full qualifier and final in one day on a Thursday, and then they did a qualifier on Friday and then another final on Saturday. So two full World Cups with two full completely different results uh, in what looked to be a pretty good pipe in Calgary. Yeah. Um, looked It looked sunny from the broadcast. However, with the amount of um, steam coming out of people's mouths, I knew that it was typical Calgary weather. Well, I didn't. Uh, they were talking about the temperature at the beginning of the broadcast I watched, and it wasn't as cold as usual. And it didn't seem windy or anything like that. I think it was like 25 Fahrenheit or something. So it wasn't, okay. it wasn't terrible. Uh, it's actually pretty nice for there. Um, but the, yeah, the pipe was running nice and it was, both contests were great. Um, completely different judging panel than Aspen X games and mammoth. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Every, everyone, uh, on that panel was yeah. Different. Not, not people that had done, uh, yeah. Either of the, the recent, uh, previous half pipe contests, obviously all those judges having, half pipe experience um but yeah just not not directly leading up to it you know and that that is kind of interesting too when you have uh some contests that you're like maybe tuned into for a little bit being judged by one panel and then what does it look like judged by another panel like is it all consistent in the same throughout or can you uh can you notice differences in the way that the runs are being evaluated yeah because you had a half of the x games panel came to mammoth and then judge the mammoth pipe contest. And then, well, I guess there was a whole heap of other people too, because it was split panel, 10 people. Um, but then, yeah, completely different panel, panel in mammoth, uh, or excuse me, in Calgary. And yeah, I mean, good contest. I lean back on top. Um, I'm pretty sure she is a listener of the podcast because she did the Switch <laughs> 7. You called out the no Switch Sev. She did the Switch Sev. We've been waiting I, I got, for it. Oh, yeah. We're, I mean, you knew she had the Switch yeah. 7. And then now that she added the Switch 7 to the run with in Calgary, it was it was kind of like, all right, it, it's game over for a while. You know, like, in my opinion, that run is so good. And with, with her finally stepping up the Switch 3 to the Switch 7, that was the only – the only spot that you can could consider weak in any way yeah. in her run comparatively and switch sevens looking good. I hope she doesn't ever do that switch three again. I hope we see a bunch more <laughs> of those switch sevens. Um, I know she's got that right 10 she probably doesn't need to do it for another two years, but uh, I, it's a fun run to watch. It's, it's even more fun when it has that, that switch seven and, and in Calgary, I didn't, I didn't get to watch the fight, the last final, but I don't think that I saw her do the full, full pull yet where she does right nine Buick, left nine Japan, right Sev lead tail, switch Sev Japan, left alley-oop flat five, right alley-oop flat five. I, I only saw she, her end the run with the right alley-oop in, her, uh, in the first World Cup okay, I uh, think of she, Calgary. Well, I thought she did it on her second run in the first World Cup where she got the 97. 
I thought she did both alley-oop flat fives. But I could be wrong. I don't know. She got the 97 and one. I thought she stepped up to it and did them both. Yeah. And then she, I thought she was going to get 100. She may have. It wasn't Her run is, is so good. It's, uh, I mean, she's she's got the amp. She's got the grabs. She's got variation of axis. She's got variety all the way down. You know, like she's, she's putting together everything. Uh, I guess there's a reason that she's won so many of these uh, in a row, minus Mammoth, that does it really count mammoth the qualifier only yeah the final yeah well um, it but- is interesting too because like her run is very good it does have one switch hit yes now that it is a switch seven it's it's good but there are girls in the field behind her with multiple switch hits who on paper have a run that could be very competitive if done like eileen's run i mean you look at amy fraser's run yeah. and that run if done the way Eileen does her run, that's a fantastic run. Uh, like although in Calgary, she did she gave up on the switch nine and was doing the run starting out with a switch seven. Um, but when she's doing the switch nine, switch five, switch seven, uh, flare into both nines, that's a heavy run. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a that's a really heavy run. Are the grabs there? That that's the question right. that we're looking at. Right. Know? The grabs um, and the grabs and the amplitude on that run. But if that run gets bumped up and has all that, I mean, that is a I've, on paper is one of the hardest runs, especially <coughs> when she does switch nine, switch five, switch seven, and even if she just backs because let's say she goes bigger on that and just goes nine to nine at the bottom, I mean that's. That's a heavy run. That's a really good run. Yeah. They're uh, they're really stepping it up. And, you know, like, the other girls are not sitting by waiting for Eileen to just clean sweep the yeah. podium. You know, they're trying to find their their opportunities to uh, beat her in these things. And the thing that they've – that's been the glaring part of that is switch. So you see all the runs that are have been behind her for the past couple of years are focusing on – adding those switch hits and that that will be significant in in the next couple of years you know what how what where the switch skiing and the pipes going but i would say calgary did a really good job of making me interested in watching that whole competition and a little bit more um excited about the future of half pipe skiing yeah. there just were there were a lot of people going for it there were a lot of people trying unique creative parts of the run and Across the guys, across the girls, sometimes you really only get to see the same stuff so often that when you get to see a full contest where everyone's landing runs and you get to really see the next generation that's that's pushing that bubble and almost making finals, um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see, see where it goes over the next couple of years. I think there's some talents that are going to start to develop. And New Zealand, specifically, yeah. has the three kids that look the absolute youngest – in any contest <laughs> their, I've ever their seen. Their headshots are so great. They're ridiculous. Like, did they, they, it looks like they took their headshots straight out of their elementary school uh, <laughs> yearbook. But these kids are throwing down. And um, Luke, specifically, uh, Luke Harold, yeah. Her- uh, man, him, his run, like on paper, is unbelievable. The switch alley oop. Uh, switch alley doubles back to back off yep. the top. 
Um, then, like, I don't think in Calgary he did it, and I think that was his only non-double hit. Uh, but then into the switch down the pipe double into both double twelves, that's a four du- five double run when he does it with the with the switch down the pipe double. Still doubles in all four directions, two of which being alley oop, both perfectly grabbed, good amplitude. Um, and then you look at Finn Finley Melville Ives. Yep. I'm going to butcher that name. You were announcing. You got it. Um, but two really young kids with really unique, creative, like high energy, high amplitude runs. And I don't know how young they actually are, but they look really young. And I think they're going to be in this scene for a while doing pretty, pretty remarkable runs. And just the whole, the whole Calgary crowd. I mean, that has always been such a cool thing to see. And they had like a drone up for the broadcast that kept showing the crowd. It's packed there every single year. It's insane. Oh yeah. Calgary's Calgary's a really fun place. And, uh, that contest always goes off that, um, the Olympic park in Calgary, the fact that it's in the city, um, you can walk right up to the base. Uh, it's, it's just a really, it's a unique place, you know, it's, uh, where they film cool runnings, which is the coolest part of it for sure. They got the bobsled out front. You get your picture when you show up, obviously. Yeah. I saw the, um, the rev tour judges in it the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Out there for the Noram stuffing in the cool runnings. <laughs> oh, Noram, bobsled. Yeah, That's always sick. Um, but yeah, that, that pipe is good. Um, it was, it's, uh, kind of interesting and i guess like uh the one thing i i also wanted to discuss is that the fact that the final event events of the year being a double event in the same pipe ran in three days um i always think it's funny when they do that because it's like okay so you saw exactly how these people were skiing over the past couple days you gave them one opportunity to compete and now you're just starting for the beginning and doing it all over again uh like theoretically could should be the same result um but it isn't you know like it often isn't and i remember uh watching the first contest gepper fell in both of his qualifying runs and my first thought was oh he is gonna go hard in the next (laughs) contest like he is he is not gonna crash both of his qualifying runs again and uh yeah there were a couple riders that you just saw not make the cut in the first contest and came out swinging in the second contest and really put something down. And I mean, again, uh, we, we've been talking about Eileen just being absolutely dominant in the women's field uh, in halfpipe. Ferreira has been equally, if not more dominant this yeah. year, winning every single contest uh, that he entered in. Um, and he just really seemed unstoppable. But uh, aside from Ferreira, there was a lot of mix-ups and a lot of uh, surprises people coming out on uh, on those podiums in the men's event and making it in finals. And I thought both finals were really cool uh, and had really high-level skiing. Yeah, and that second one, too, having Sung Hung Lee on the podium there in third. Um, and then, I mean, that's just cool to have someone else who – and he has skied out of his mind over the last few contests. And, like, he's right there. I mean, my only thing is I cannot stand – someone ending their run with their easiest trick, like ending the run on a nine that's not grabbed that well. It's like the rest of your run. So like he has one of the best switch down the pipe, double tens, like the rotation's perfect. Like everything's good, but it's just like, it's, it's like so anticlimactic to end it with a nine. Yeah. And like, okay. So yes, 
it's anticlimactic to end your run with a nine. It's a four hit pipe. Yeah, true. It's your you have four hits and one of your hits is a nine. I I don't know how I feel about that in a World Cup. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, I back run, that. you yeah. know, um, and that that it seemed to be that second contest really came down to amplitude yeah. a lot. Like amplitude really seemed to be rewarded and right, rightfully so in a lot of ways. You know, like what makes everything harder in the half pipe? Amplitude. What is better execution in the half pipe? If you're going bigger, uh, amplitude itself is its own criteria, but it adds to all the criteria except for variety. So, the person going the biggest should stand a better chance of of winning. But uh, I w- those runs that were awarded in that contest, aside from Ferreira, were head and shoulders big above yep. everyone else. Yep. You know. But they had nines. They, yeah, they yeah had, it was both interesting. Both runs had a nine. You you see, I think it was Finn Melvo Ives was in fourth with a switch, switch down seven. the pipe seven, an alley oop dub flat, a dub sixteen. I don't remember exactly what his run was, but he started with a switch seven, and it wasn't perfect. And he also ended with a nine as well. I think he got five hits in. Um, yeah, he does the switch left seven, right dub twelve, left dub sixteen, left alley dub flat nine, left nine. nine. Yeah, left nine tail that he almost landed on his hand. He held the tail so long. Um yeah. but that was above Gepper's run and Aaron Blunk's run, which had I mean, Aaron had all four no. He had three out of the four direction doubles. No, he had all four doubles. He had all four yeah, yeah. directions. Did he do the switch right double? He did. Then he did all first one. Nine. He did this year. So right ten, right switch, ten, dub switch nine, left dub nine, switch, switch right, right dub ten, yep. left dub nine, right dub twelve, blunt. Yep. And so it's interesting to see you look at a technicality standpoint, and yes, looking at Gepper's run and Blunk's run, they did not have the amplitude that those other guys had, but their runs were much harder. So it's kind of an interesting yeah. comparison. Yeah, te- technical difficulty wise, like those runs are harder for sure. Like, there's no way to say that that spinning in four directions, if not doing doubles in four directions down the pipe, is not more difficult than doing. I mean, three. Like, if you look at Finn's run, he's doing a switch left seven, a right dub twelve, a left dub sixteen, another left double. Yep. Albeit it's alley oop. That's not. It's not the same. I'm not saying it's the same direction, but it's not one of the four primary directions that are unanimously looked at as more valuable in slope style and half pipe scheme. Um, but the amplitude not being there in those runs. And um, I think that that's one thing that uh, can vary um, judges panel to judges panel is what wins in that argument. Who's, who's siding with the, the technical difficulty yeah. who's siding with the amplitude. Um, I would tend to say that, the spirit of half pipe more so aligns with amplitude than it does necessarily the technical difficulty. However, it's really hard to point at those runs and say where they lacked in tef- technical difficulty aside from straight up the amplitude, you know? Yeah. I mean, you look at, I mean, I'm not trying to pinpoint one person, but Fenn's run had one right spin and you, exactly. you, you compare that to Gepper and Blunk right underneath him, and it's kind of like, I, I don't know. But amplitude is huge, and that's like what you're saying. Amplitude is a, almost a trick in itself. And yes, it's part of the criteria, but it's almost going big is almost a trick in itself. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, again, it, it really, uh, it can, it can fall either way on, on any, any day, you know, especially when you do have like somebody that's just got all the amplitude, but maybe a little bit less difficult run versus somebody that has all the technicality with a run that's just notably a little bit smaller, or maybe looks like they're struggling a little bit more to maintain a consistent amplitude throughout. And you'd, you'd, you'd think like, I, I mean, again, I think that the consensus of everybody for the most part usually is that amplitude needs to be paramount in half pipe. So, um, yeah, good on them for rewarding that again. Like we're, we're noting right now the technical, merit of the runs maybe not being up to snuff with some of the ones lower placed but did the amplitude make all of those tricks harder than doing a more technical yeah, good run point. Yeah. debatable yeah yeah so i mean that was a great contest we awarded the crystal globes they went to the people we expected them to go to alex and eileen and so half pipe as far as the FIS contest season is now done, but we do have do tour coming up. And is it, is it a normal half pipe this year? Yeah. Do tour is going to be normal pipe. Uh, just the regular copper half pipe, really small start list. I think we're six or eight guys. I'm not sure. And then five women, um, in half pipe. Um, so really condensed start list, just the the best of the best there, kind of similar similar to X Games, just with a really exclusive uh, invite list. But that's going to be a heavy half pipe competition, you know. Like the the Crystal Globes have been awarded, all the fist contests have been dealt with, and now we got one more opportunity to see them ski some half pipe before they get some much needed rest and uh, start then getting into the summer pipes and working on what they're going to bring to the table next year. And then let's see, we have a few other slope style contests that'll be coming up in Europe. Yeah, yeah. So we uh the Fist World Cup slope style circuit still this year has Teen in France and Silvaplana, uh Corvache um in Switzerland. Uh and the Teen event will also be the final for big air for the Fist World Cup season. So um we'll be doing yeah, kind of two consecutive events. It'll go straight from Teen into Silvaplana. Uh I will be going over for Silvaplana. I won't be at Teen, however, many of the judges will be doing both and transitioning between the two events. Um but yeah, I, I think the last two slope style events of the year were primed for some really heavy competition on some really good courses. Like Teen is fantastic. That slope style course is really fun. I'm sure the big air is going to be great. But Silvaplana, the course that they build at Corvach is remarkable. And yep. you always have a very, very heavy slope style final. And everybody wants to go out of the year with a win. I, I'm not sure, but... I would assume based on the results this year that the crystal globe race is a lot tighter in slope style than it yeah. was this year in half pipe. Um, so I think that'll be an exciting last couple of weeks to the contest season on the slope side. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. And I I'm bouncing back real quick to the half pipe thing. Wanted to shout out Hunter Hess for the season that he had. I mean, that was from someone who, the last couple of years who's been right there, just kind of like just just missing just a little bit, whether it's a couple missed grabs or just not quite having the amplitude to see what he did this year. I think he got third in the overall um, yeah. for this year. 
that was so cool and such a unique different take of half pipe skiing his own his own run his own variety of things so just wanted to uh bring that up as well and consistent through the whole year totally yeah hunter just kind of on a tear this year and really bringing some unique creative flavor and i mean overall like i i think i'd go as far as to say that this year's half pipe scene gave me a little bit more hope than i had for the half pipe scene uh previous to this year you know it it really seemed for a while that we were just going to kind of continue to beat down this road where it's just um everyone doing to some extent the same style run and we have people like nico we have people like hunter we're gonna have noah bowman coming back into the mix next year we're gonna have dart coming back into the mix next year there's still the really talented people that are doing more conventional runs and looking at alex and looking at david um there's some young talent coming into the mix with the new zealand kids there's this half pipe scene is going to be really fun to watch for a while. And, uh, on the men's front, it's, it's going to, it's going to get really exciting over the next two years leading into this next Olympic cycle. And I'm here for it. Well, it's funny too. Cause I feel like half pipe for a while was just kind of the, like you said, the same sort of runs, the same sort of things. And this year, not really expecting it to at all, but it was one of the most exciting things to watch all season to watch play out and to watch Ferreira's dominance and to watch the different people bounce in and do completely different runs and do well with them was pretty cool to see. Yeah, I'm. I I really like it. I really think that uh, that half pipe is big enough of a discipline to be able to have those different approaches to the sport. And in the same way in big air, we're seeing people maybe look for a non linear path to achieving difficulty, meaning more flipping and spinning, uh, people looking at half pipe through that lens is really exciting because I 100% think that that will lead to more people being interested in the sport. Um, there is hard it's hard to find things less attainable looking than somebody doing a dub 16 out of a perfectly manicured 22 foot half pipe at night we've discussed already how many half pipes are in the world the level you have to be at to be able to do a dub 16 is unbelievable but can anyone relate to that does that look fun to a young skier to a nine-year-old that's did their first uh contest do they think that they they want to do that there's a couple like there's there's people that are driven like that we listen to gepper's take on it and how everybody should be interested in half pipe and you almost get me sold on it but i think that having people like hunter and nico and noah in the pipe scene that are bringing something different um will make a lot more people want to watch it and uh, want to tune in for it and it just makes for a good show and we're seeing some competitive runs and uh through the guys and the girls i think we're we're seeing a lot of cool stuff that's really leading into this next uh i guess olympic cycles everybody looks into it being really really fun and unique well it was interesting the other day i posted a just a thing on our good enough page the thoughts on current pipe skiing after the contest ended and I've done a couple of those little question things before and literally nobody responded, which is fine. Um, but this one, it just blew up. I mean, so many different people from just people who like to watch it to coaches to different people commenting on it. And one of which, when you're just talking about Noah Bowman, there, there was a comment from uh, Legault Maego, and it said, we need to continue the trend towards style instead of focusing on technicality. 
And that kind of, it made me think of Noah because Noah, Noah's style is technicality. The tricks that he's doing that are style tricks are extremely technical because of how difficult they are and no one else is doing them, which kind of leads to what you're talking about in Big Air where it's like maybe not saying technical as in spinning and more of like exploring different axes and different things like Hunter with the Misty 5 at the bottom and different things like that. Um, And I think that's kind of cool in half pipe skiing right now because you there is a lot to explore i mean there's there's been the same tricks and axes for years and there's a lot of other things that can be done yeah and i mean i think uh a lot of everyone will have their own different approach to it and like clearly you have the people that are trying to achieve spinning in all four directions doing doubles in all four directions trying to just max out a run you know but there are ways to do things that are as difficult as a dub 16 that aren't a dub 16 that are a 540 you know like how many dub 16s did you see in the pipe this year how many different competitors attempted a dub 16 six seven like maybe closer to 10 how many people attempted that misty five that hunter's doing one how many people attempted a zero spin 10 feet out of the pipe one how many people can do noah's switch bone roll with blunt one those things that that are kind of unquantifiable and like trying to say that a 540 can be more difficult than a 16. But if you really look at the numbers and how many people are attempting them, there has to be some argument for the fact that that may be more difficult if only one person can or is willing to attempt that. Yep. And it's, it's not just about, in my opinion, standing out and being different. I think there's so much to be said of like, like the zero spin. I mean, you look back over the years, how many people have actually been able to do that trick 10 plus feet out well? I mean, you got Two. Nico D- and Duncan. And you have Duncan. Period. Exactly. And, and I, I think Half Bite presents a unique situation because my argument in Big Air right now is to do a trip 19 versus doing Matei's Baron Flip, um, they might be very progressive. They might be able to be awarded. <coughs> at a similar level. However, one has a much greater risk. If Matei over-rotates his, he lands a three and rides away. If you mess up on a trip 19, you land on your head. Maybe Matei's isn't the best example because his Tokyo Drift in and of itself is the trick, him going off the lip like that. You could catch, you could get really hurt. But let's say Jesper, for exa- A-Hall, for example, yeah. his right dub 10 pull back to nine. If he messes that up, he does a 10. Um, if you mess up a trip 19, you land on your head, you could end your season. In half pipe, there's pretty much the same risk associated with doing that zero spin 15 feet out as there is a right dub 16. Um, so who's to say that one is more or less difficult? If one person is able to do one and 10 people are able to do the other, that that stands to reason alone that one may actually be more difficult than the other. And back to my Instagram post what are your thoughts on <coughs> mandatory straight air? Uh, I don't love the word mandatory <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. or any anything that is going to force people to do anything in this sport. That, Except for mandatory poles. Mandatory pole. I love that. I love <laughs> mandatory poles. <clears throat> uh, but I, I, I really don't. 
I don't know if we need to say it's a mandatory straight air, but I would love to see people toning it down on one hit and being able to try to demonstrate something different. Um, I kind of had lost interest in watching Scotty James halfpipe runs for the past couple years until he added his first hit this year, which is his like pullback, like the kind of McTwist pullback sort of thing. Um, and that's unbelievable. A, yeah, like, switch McTwist pullback. Switch McTwist pullback? Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> big snowboard guy. Big snowboard guy over there. Um, but I just think that there's there's really boring ways to look at the progress, progression of skiing, and there's really exciting ways to look at the progression of skiing. And, I mean, doing a 25-foot straighter out of the half pipe might be the hardest trick ever done. You know, uh, like if you, I don't, could Joffrey do a straight air as big as he did his alley oop flat five? Like the, the amount of control and timing yeah. it takes to do a straight air that big or bigger, that there's so much risk in that straight air. It's not a straight air. You straight air a jump, that's a throwaway. You do a 25 foot straight air in the pipe, you do a 20 foot straight air in the pipe. That's risk. You know, that's timing, that's skill, that's execution. There's there's a lot of components going into that. Well, it's interesting too. The biggest hits ever in the half pipe for snowboarding are backside airs. They're Sean White and Kaishu and then um Valentino Gaselli. They're all yeah. doing backside airs. And it's interesting that in skiing, our biggest hits and may not be all of them. But the majority of them are alley-oop flat fives. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think it also, we just benefited by that being the trick that those riders were most comfortable with that they could do with that air. But it is really interesting because that's a that's a gnarly trick as well. Like yeah. your you're you're possibility of popping too far off the wall and just going 50 feet to flat bottom is a lot higher than with other tricks. Yeah, wing wing tie doing the alley oop double at X Games and landing all the way in the flat. And oh yeah, uh, do, doing a number to both of his knees and trying to take another run. But that, I mean, it would be really cool to have somebody in skiing. If there's a way to have a skiing straighter look as cool as Kaishu's method or some of these other guys. Backside air? I think there's got to be. I just don't think that skiing has ever put the same type of emphasis or priority on doing a cool straight air as snowboarding has. You know, because we never had a mandatory straight air like they did. But we also like we don't have a method. You know, like snowboarding has that's like the rite of passage. You know, for snowboarding, that if you got to have a good method, people are judged based on the caliber of their method, and like skiing doesn't really have that. You don't see people like doing trains on a jump and all doing straight air blunt grabs or anything, you know, like it, it's always been a little bit more about technicality. Who's doing a cork three, you know, who's doing a switch five, who's, uh, who's doing a zero spin, you know, yeah. if it's a zero spin train, that, that would be exciting. You know, it doesn't even matter if you grab, you know, zero spins are, are legit, but like snowboarding has methods and that's a, a, a grab on a straight air that everybody has in their quiver to a certain extent that can you can watch somebody do a method and understand how comfortable they are on a snowboard, you know, and skiing, I guess just never prioritized it that way. And maybe, maybe it should, maybe culturally we, we messed up. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see a 20 plus foot out straighter mute grab, just completely pulled 
and see how that does with a good run behind it. I mean, totally. it would be really interesting because, I mean, that's one of those things that you have to reward it. It can be your style trick, and then you back that up with a bunch of doubles and everything else. It would be pretty interesting to compare that to other runs. Totally. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Again, I think I think we're at an interesting era where people are finally putting this together and uh, finally realizing that there are different ways to achieve difficulty that doesn't mean do another 180 than the person in front of you. Yep. Um, and I think that's what that's what makes for the most interesting contest environment across yeah. the board. Well, speaking of interesting contest environments, um, we're about to have <laughs> a contest in Saudi Arabia. Um and it's a touchy subject to say the least. Um, it is a male-only ski and snowboard contest, Big Air, um, City Big Air style, scaffolding built, and it is the biggest purse of the year. It's the biggest yeah. prize for first place at fifty thousand um, dollars of the year. Two thousand dollars if you just show up for the invited riders. Appearance um, fees. I mean, it's you look at these other sports. You look at you look at soccer. You look at golf specifically. You look at the uh, the live tour being funded by Saudi money and how much money these guys in golf have been getting over the past couple years. And it's interesting that it's now touching into our world. Um, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I really ever expected that. Um, I mean, it's it's funny because like. If you told me that there could be something that is getting skiers and snowboarders more money that everybody was going to be super against, I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed what it could possibly be, but kind of for good reason, you know, like it really does seem to be a it's weird there's no girls, yeah. you know, like why? I mean, uh, culturally, yeah, it makes sense that they're not doing that, but uh from our culture, from our sport perspective, I'm I'm surprised that that wasn't kind of a red flag for people in, in the in the initial discussions of this thing. Um, new schoolers hate this event. I'm, uh, <laughs> it's like the most commented on new schoolers post I've seen in years. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's the most exactly. traction they've gotten in a while, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely it's drawing some some conversation and uh like re- regardless of the politics behind it, like I'm I'm curious to see how it ends up. It's it's a unique group of skiers that's going out for it and I've never seen anything like this before. Uh I'm thankful there's no fist ties and I'm not catching any flack for this <laughs> well, event. You, you technically being as are politically catching, incorrect as possible. You're catching strays though because there are oh, yeah. there are multiple comments saying that it is a fist event. So there are some strays being thrown, but it is it is not a FIS event. This is not sanctioned by the FIS. This has no connection to it. There are top-level judges that are going out there to judge this contest. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's I, – I don't know how it kind of slipped past my radar over the year. I hadn't heard anything about it until the last couple weeks. And now I've just been very interested to kind of just see what happens. I mean, it's ski and snowboard. And it's uh, there are some big names that are going out there. Oh, yeah. There's there's the big dogs that are going out there. There's also, uh, like, it's a really interesting 
group of people that's going to ski there and i'm 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 really curious to see how it turns out i definitely think that some of the parts of it are problematic um but the uh ultimately this is a part of the world that seems to be wanting to participate and like in in endorse these sports and put put money into them um they're gonna do it they're they're gonna figure out a way to do it and they're gonna figure out who the people are that are willing to play ball and at, at what level but um ultimately if if it can lead to the growth of this sport and can lead to these people that we love to watch ski and we want to be able to make a living in this sport uh make a living that that should all be well and good but ultimately i don't I think that we need to work harder for inclusion of everyone because to, to not invite the women, I just think is, is a slight, uh, to, to how, um, progressive that side of the sport has been for the past decade. As far as big air goes, one of the most entertaining, I mean, if this is just purely off entertainment, you want entertainment, you, you bring a women's big air. I mean, it's one of the best, most competitive fields, um, granted, obviously their culture is different and not aligned with our perspectives and views and everything like that. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, you look at, you look at payout for first place being $50,000. First place, if you win a big air in a world cup is $12,000. I mean, that's a yeah. huge difference. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Speaking on on something else right now, uh, with Eileen uh, being the number two highest paid female athlete in the world right now, all other in the top ten, nine out of ten are tennis players. Uh, and I looked at the Forbes breakdown, and every single other competitor, a good portion of their earnings is based on contest winnings. Eileen's endorsements are what is making her yeah, highly her, paid. Her contest winnings are minimal and she's winning everything. It's less than 1%. I think. Exactly. It, it's insane. Yeah, it's and like you, I mean again, yeah, what's what's 100,000 of 20 million? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Know? When you look at I mean, this isn't not trying to put the FIS on this. This is just how our world is, but you win a Alpine World Cup and first place is over $60,000. Yeah, I mean, and there's, just... I mean, there's got to be other things going into it because I know that they're not. There's nobody that's sitting there and saying we we need to pay these guys less. But I also think that something needs to change because I want these skiers to be able to focus on their careers and then retire with money in the bank and go on to be ski legends in the same way that baseball players and basketball players and football players are able to like. Uh, the rising tide, rising tide raises all boats. Is that it? Yeah, like yeah. every so one person winning in our sport is going to put everyone else on a pedestal. And the more that we can build that up and make more money in the sport, the better. But also, I guess being conscious on what terms we do it by, and not not uh, falling victim to yeah. uh, looking past our values in in endorsing things just because the money is there and flashy. Yeah, and I mean, there are some interesting things about you look at a decade ago and making a career as a very good competitive skier, you had a lot more events to do. So you had a four stop due tour. You had multiple X games and then you had all the world cups. You had a chance to make a lot more money just off. I don't think, 
I don't think that the four stop do tour and World Cups existed at the same time. Uh, Grand Prix were in there though. You still have Grand Prix uh, mixed in. The first Grand Prix, correct, was associated with the first Olympic event after Ushuaia, Ushuaia in Argentina, right? It's so like when I—I I guess we could have this discussion not yeah. not on air. Uh, I, I'd be curious to look at it. I just know that like World Cups came around after the fact, but uh, like again, I my my old boss at High Cascade uh, in Wendell's, uh, I remember what I was talking to him about like the terms on which people were actually making money as pro skiers in this era, and he was flabbergasted to find out how minimally people were getting yeah. paid compared to his era, where uh, I know. Tim Wendell, uh, founder of Wendell's, had uh, a, a headband sponsor back in the day that was paying him over a thousand dollars a month for headbands. Like he, that's one accessory he's wearing. He's getting a paycheck twelve months a year to wear their headbands exclusively. Uh, that's not his snowboard sponsor. That's not his boot sponsor. That's not his goggle sponsor. Uh, that like that's. There was opportunity to yeah. make money. Like, the, the money uh, contest was, scene and outside. Yeah, the money was very different, and I, I think if we could find even a middle ground, because there was a a point that it was a little crazy there, where people just were making money off of anything. But if we could find a middle ground where these guys and girls could make a better living off of contest winnings and everything like that, I think that that would. I just miss the days of having a full-on do tour multiple events and multiple different things mixed in with some of these other contests and i yes i mean it's the world cups are great but it it was pretty fun to have these other tours as well mixed in yeah i completely agree i think uh again the more the better uh and um i think that's another part of like the world cup racing circuit is they seem to have a lot more events uh, and granted, they're doing a lot of disciplines. Some of those skiers are doing multiple disciplines, and that might be the same as like a skier competing in slope style, big air, and half pipe, which there's one or two people that does that. Um, but yeah, I think the the more we need more private events. Period. Like yeah. the World Cup circuit is going to be what the World Cup circuit is, and it's going to provide whatever opportunity. And it has the ability to grow. It has the ability to continue to boost off what it's accomplished as a platform. But we need more private events. We need more unique events to ski. We need more events that are outside of the norms of a fist contest. They're looking at it in the same way. And like I really get excited every year going to X Games for Knuckle Huck because. That's the only time every year we get to see it, you know. Yeah. Uh, rail jams are cool, but that that might even be a little bit too structured. Like, let's do hip contests, let's do yeah. half pipe contests, let's do a slope style tour that has nothing to do with a World Cup ranking or your your world ranking in that respect. You know, like Jib League is on to something, yeah, hundred percent. Sure. Was... And maybe it's not the same structured contest environment that you need to actually associate it with the contest world, but they're on to something, and skiing wants that. Well, yeah. and if, if you get a Jib League with a production and you put out a hour-long show and that goes on TV and people watch that on whatever, I mean, that's that's what we need. You have five of those a year and you have Jib Leagues all over and you have a show that goes with it. I mean, that sort of thing. Have Netflix pick it up. And exactly. You know, like that, that sort of thing. There just needs to be more push to that. Hopefully we can find a way to do that. Maybe we can meet someone from Netflix. Maybe I yeah, can maybe yeah. I can narrate it. 
any Netflix people out there, hit us up. Yeah, slide on in. Um, but I think I think that pretty much wraps it. That kind of catches us up a little bit on the contest scene and what's about to happen. You are going to do tour. I am not, unfortunately. Didn't get I'm the bummed. didn't get the call. But we'll have to we'll have to maybe do one while you're out there. Have a few yeah, let's uh, let's let's line up another one at Do Tour. Talk about I, I think it'll be exciting to talk about street style. That'll be a, a really fun one as maybe, it's going on. Maybe I'll just fly out and try to get in to street style, try to compete. I'll I'll get you on that alt list right now, man. Yeah. You're <laughs> uh, at least that could bring me out, so I could come do the pod with you guys out there. Uh, that'd be sick. Um, uh, I think Noah and I just decided we're not bringing ski bags to Copper because what uh, we. We fly in on Thursday and we fly out Sunday afternoon. So That's, the whole weekend is is contests. You have officially hit old. I remember. Look, I w- no, 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 no. I remember when Mike Atkinson <laughs> used to show up to contests without skis, and I was like, "Something is fucking wrong with you." I want. I want to ski. I would. I would rather ski in copper than not. But I. This is me pre-acknowledging the fact that I don't think we're going to be given the opportunity to ski while we're there. I'm disappointed. Very. Yeah. Disappointed. Maybe we will. Maybe. Maybe you just shame me enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to continue. If anybody else listens to this, comment and go DM Jason. Comment on all of his things. Comment on all Surface Joystick that Jason should bring his skis to copper and go skiing if i get if i get one comment i probably will (laughs) (laughs) Um, just wanted to shout out to all of our patreon members all of our new patreon members as well um appreciate it it helps us continue to do this to a certain extent and at least take a little bit of time and spend a little bit of money on that if we get some more patreon members maybe i can fly out to do tour and just go so jump in there yeah, we should start a start a GoFundMe <laughs> to get you to to do tour. Yeah, especially if I can get a spot in the uh, street style. Um, but yeah, so I want to shout out to that. Keep commenting on that stuff. Get in there. Comment on our Instagram. We'll try to be as more uh, more content people as we can. Um, doing our best on that. I just finished my move, so I might be a little more up on it. You got the studio now. You're ready. Yeah, the and studio. Yeah, th- thanks, thanks everyone to tuning in so far again i've gotten a lot of feedback and a lot of comments of people being excited about our our weird take on <laughs> the very specific free ski contest scene so uh we're we're gonna keep talking about it if people keep listening so yeah let's, we'll, let's keep it keep it going we'll figure out what to talk about in the summer too we'll keep keep it going throughout the year but uh but yeah i appreciate everybody for jumping in listening and commenting and uh hit us up let us know what you want us to talk about and uh we'll probably be back in the next week or two for another one and uh you got anything else jason no that's it thank you pete for uh joining me tonight and have a good one talk soon all right sounds good thank you i don't know why i thanked you there i should have said goodbye dude that was weird (laughs) Everyone's oh. gonna think that was weird. Hold on, we gotta call Garrett. Oh yeah, this will be the, once the not oh, over. Pause it. <laughs> Let's give Garrett a call. I Bluetooth my phone on here just so we could call him. G Money, gotta find out what's going on with that edit. G Money Jurich. Mobile. Yeah, he. I, I've been bothering him about it, and he keeps coming up with excuses. <laughs>
I know he's not plowing because it hasn't snowed. That's what you think. <laughs> I was up there and today. Just, just because you're in the area doesn't mean you know anything about the amount of snow that has fallen in Kings Beach. <laughs> I was in Incline today, and it was sunny. Your call has been forwarded oh, to again. voice message system five three zero five four five nine three zero. Everyone zero. listening, it's take Garrett's available. number. Text him. G Money, you missed your call on the pod again. G Money, we keep giving you opportunities to just blow up mainstream worldwide, and you're not even here. We want to know what is up with the edit that you have done. Top secret surface joystick edit from Boreal. The world is waiting. Hook us up. All right, hanging up. All right, now we're, we'll, we'll call it good. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Fucking G money. What'd you call me the other day? G memory. G memory. <laughs> Geography. He has a, an amazing memory of things that have happened in the past. To to an extent. Well, to to his own uh, beliefs. Yeah, exactly. To to his recollection of whatever happened. All right, here we go. See, Garrett would have loved this part. Of the I song. know. I know. I wonder if he makes it to the end of the podcast to hear it. Nah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs>